0: Information in this podcast is meant for the
1: education of clinicians in rehabilitation. This is not meant for personal medical diagnosis and treatment, and individuals should always consult an appropriate medical practitioner.
0: Hello, and welcome to the APTA's Vestibular Special Interest Group podcast on vision therapy, my name is Ethan Hood, and today we have with us a uh, wonderful expert on vision therapy. We have Dr. Nathan Steinhoffel. Dr. Nathan Steinhoffel is currently the director of TBI vision services at Armstrong Eye Care Associates in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He received a bachelor's degree from the University of Wisconsin and a master's of science degree in physiology from Brigham Young University. He obtained his Doctor of optometry from the Southern California College of Optometry and received his clinical training. From from the Moran Eye Center, the Southwestern Eye Center, and Kent Pendleton Naval Hospital. He completed his residency at the University of Alabama at Birmingham in pediatric optometry, binocular vision, and vision rehabilitation, where he also served as a clinical instructor. He served as clinical mass examiner for the Pediatric Eye Disease Investigator Group. He is a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry with affiliation to the Neuro Optometry section. He has been invited to lecture locally and nationally on the topic of visual and ocular outcomes filed mild and traumatic brain injury. He is a clinician in private practice and specializes in the treatment of amblyopia, strabismus, visual dysfunction related to traumatic brain injury, vision therapy, and rehabilitation. So, Dr. Steinhoff, welcome, first of all.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Great. So let's dive right in. And uh, vision therapy, especially from a a physical therapist perspective, uh, we hear about vision therapy when we're dealing a lot uh, with our neurological patients, whether it's from concussion or stroke or more of a moderate, severe traumatic brain injury. Um, Can you tell us exactly what is vision
1: therapy? Right. So that's a great question. And it's a pretty loaded question because there's a Large range of what we would consider vision therapy. And if we look at what the fundamental definition of vision therapy is, it's kind of like an umbrella term based around eye exercises. <clears throat> the American Optometric Association basically defines vision therapy as like this sequence of neurosensory and neuromuscular activities that are individually prescribed and monitored by a physician to develop and rehabilitate and enhance visual skills and processing so it's it's this type of physical therapy called orthoptics or traditionally it was called orthoptics or in the cases of traumatic brain injury concussion or mTBI it's actually more appropriate to use the term vision rehabilitation but for all intents and purposes we use vision therapy as the umbrella term and it's and its goal is really to aim to improve ocular motor function, including saccade and pursuitability, ability, and accommodative function, all exercises basically ultimately to improve the neuroplasticity in the areas of the central nervous system responsible for binocular vision.
0: Okay. So in terms of doing the vision rehabilitation or the vision therapy, who performs the vision therapy? Can any practitioner perform the vision therapy? Is there some sort of certification for, to be a vision therapist?
1: Right. So vision therapy is typically performed by a vision therapist or an eye care provider themselves. But typically this is done by a vision therapist, but always supervised by either an ophthalmologist or an optometrist specialized in this area. Um, and it's, it's more of a certification. You're not going to go out and get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in vision therapy, but it's a certification beyond your physical therapy training, or some individuals are speech and language pathologists that have a special interest in vision, and they'll go on and get a, a certificate of training.
0: Okay. Is there a national board overseeing the certification, or is it more of a regional type of certification?
1: Yes, there is a national certification route through the College of Optometry of Vision Development called COVD, okay. and it's not, it's not specific just for those in the visual field. In fact, over the past decade, we've seen a lot of physical therapists, occupational therapists who are furthering their education and becoming certified vision therapists and co-managing with eye care providers. Okay.
0: Okay. So in terms of performing the vision therapy, is there a set protocol for vision therapy or is it diagnosis based or is it symptom based? How exactly is, is the protocol come about?
1: Well, largely the objective is to treat vision problems that cannot successfully be treated with glasses or context or surgical intervention to achieve proper binocular vision. There really isn't any protocol in, in most cases, it's diagnosis space. it's never a cookie-cutter approach. The uses of different lenses, filters, occluders, specialized ocular instruments and computer programs are an integral part of the vision therapy process and it's always tailored for, for the patient based on their independent ocular condition.
0: Okay. Is there typically like a set amount of time that someone might go for vision therapy then? Is it a couple sessions? Is it 10 sessions? What would be the average?
1: Right. That's a really great question. It depends. In most cases, I would say on average, individuals are in vision therapy for probably 10 weeks. This could be one hour spent with a therapist per week, over the course of 5, 10, 15 weeks, and sometimes longer, depending on their progress, depending on their symptomatology. And we realized, especially with concussion, there is a multitude of symptoms these patients are having. So they might be doing multiple therapies at once, but on average, it's spent for 45 minutes to an hour. On average, it's about 10 weeks. And some people actually are seeing improvements and resolving their symptoms in about five weeks.
0: Okay, great. Now, is vision therapy covered by insurance?
1: Yes. This is actually something that's a real hot button in patient care and can be a roadblock in getting Mm -hmm. the right coverage for patients. Insurance coverage is absolutely regional, it's state-specific, and it very much depends on the carrier and especially the diagnosis. So for example in for most medical insurances in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh to be specific it will cover vision therapy or orthoptics and the CPT code for that is 92065 However it has to come tied with a specific diagnosis of convergence insufficiency others may cover it with saccadic dysfunction paresis of accommodation or what we would consider accommodative insufficiency, exophoria, esophoria, to name some of the common ones. And it's not a timed code like like the 97 code series. Mm -hmm. Physical therapists are using the 97 rehab code series, and this is an acceptable way to bill insurance. And insurance will only accept the vision therapy CPT code once a day unless it's tied with a modifier and we're trying to treat multiple eye conditions. Um, okay. So, so basically it's, are, a, it's
0: a, it's a non-time-based code essentially is what it is. It's it's one unit build per session, essentially.
1: Correct. It's a one unit okay. bill per session. And we have found that medical insurance will accept it coming from a physical therapist and sometimes not. It really just depends on their insurance plan. On the okay. flip side of things For concussion and traumatic brain injury, it's more appropriate to use a 97 code series.
0: Okay. Okay. So we went over in terms of the training and the certification to become a vision therapist, but what type of equipment is needed to perform vision therapy? Is, Is there a lot of equipment required, or is it just more specific types of equipment?
1: That's a great question. Gosh, we could probably spend at least 45 minutes talking about this one. But if we scale it down, and given that the audience are probably primarily PTs and OTs and possibly some athletic trainers, I have kind of a go-to list for a real basic amount of, I guess equipment aimed to improve these gross convergence, divergence, and saccadic pursuits that we're seeing with our therapy patients. So for treating these patients who have suffered a concussion, I'll name kind of like a must-have list, one being the Brock string. Many therapists are using that, pencil push-ups, mm-hmm. a three-dot card, a lifesaver card, and a hard chart. And, and this does not take a lot of resources. This can be something that could be easily purchased through Brunel. Brunel is a very large supplier of vision therapy equipment, um, and and I have no financial interest in Brunel whatsoever. <laughs>
0: okay. um,
1: but it's um, Brunel has a a large selection of 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 equipment, and it can get really expensive. I mean, it can get. Really like vision there are some vision therapy clinics that have all the bells and whistles, and you can have mm-hmm. a lot of expensive equipment, a lot of computer programs. but for the mass majority of these patients, you can do convergence work and accommodative work and saccadic work with the the, the simplest of of tools
0: okay, okay, great. So we've heard about vision therapy in terms of concussion. There's been a lot of publicity in terms of vision therapy contributing to the care concussion. Is there research supporting the use of vision therapy to improve visual symptoms after concussion?
1: Absolutely. Vision therapy has gained a lot of traction in 2009 when the Convergence Insufficiency Treatment Trial Study Group, put out this gold mine of data in archives of ophthalmology when it's first randomized clinical trial in non-concussed individuals with convergence insufficiency. Office-based vision therapy was successful in about 75% of these cases. But then as we turn to concussion, we see that these patients also have convergence insufficiency and accommodative insufficiency and very similar to patients who were born with this issue. So as we turn to these concussed groups, there's a large amount of peer-reviewed research over the last decade with concussed patients with these insufficiencies. A lot of retrospective analyses, um, a lot of observational studies, randomized clinical control studies, including some promising pilot data with functional MRI that su- suggest there really is an increase in neuroplasticity, similar to. Vestibular therapy, kind of the goal mm-hmm. is not to beef up and make muscles and organs stronger. We're not trying to get these Arnold Schwarzenegger eye muscle. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, we're really trying to increase neuroplasticity, same as vestibular therapists. Mm-hmm. So I'd be remiss not to talk about Ken Kafrida and his colleagues at the SUNY College of Optometry in Manhattan, that has been studying these effects of vision therapy for decades. A, retrospect, a retrospective analysis, first done in 2008, looked at 160 symptomatic concussed individuals with reduced convergence, reduced pursuit function, reduced saccadic function, and 85, 90, 90% of these patients seemed to have some success with vision therapy and actually remained stable without a whole lot of recidivism two to three months after discontinuing treatment.
0: So, Is, is degradation common with, with patients once they go through vision therapy, having regression, or usually do they hold on to their games?
1: I will say it's, it's I'm not going to say 50-50, but yes, there, there is some regression, especially patients that start off really severe, that have severe convergence problems or severe accommodative problems. And much like physical therapy, Yes, they'll go through a series of, of, of exercises and, and improve, and things will get rehabbed. But sometime later on down the road, it could regress, especially if there are pre-existing conditions. And okay. that's something that is good to know as part of the history. When mm-hmm. physical therapists are talking to their, their, their patients in the trenches – That's something good to ask. Did you have a pre-existing history of ocular issues? And if that's the case, there could be regression after discontinuing therapy.
0: Okay. Now, in terms of the research, when you're looking at the physical therapy literature – Um, and really just the literature in in general for concussion rehab, we notice that there is a a wealth of information out there now. But when you really look at the subjects that are involved in these research studies, is that most of the research is done within the sports medicine realm and essentially done on athletes. And so we generally have this small sample size of teenagers to young adults, where most of the research is performed. Yet, when we look at the uh, percentage of concussion we actually see in the clinic, most concussions are not sports-related. They're usually MVAs or some sort of traumatic accident, or in the case of geriatrics, in falls. And we see that there's, there's a lack of research on the, the greater proportion of patients who actually have concussion and the rehab after concussion for them. Is there a, a similar type of, of spread in, in terms of the subjects looked at in the vision therapy literature that there is in the PT and sports med literature.
1: Right. So, so yes, um, it, it really depends on the diagnosis and the diagnoses with concussion. There, there's a really good study. It's called the chop study in 2016. It was done out of the children's hospital in Philadelphia and they looked at this study in 2016. It was an observational cross-sectional study. It was with 100 individuals that were concussed, and they looked at the types of ocular sequelae that patients had specifically with, with concussion. So there, there's a lot of studies that have been put out over the last decade of patients that are not concussed, patients with congenital issues, but okay. there is not this wave of patients that they're looking specifically with concussion and comparing various protocols and various treatments. So there is a handful of research out there. We just have mm-hmm. to dig a little bit and, 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 and siphon the difference between non-concussed and concussed. Okay, great.
0: So when should vision therapy be considered after concussion? Like what is the specific time frame that should probably start vision therapy after the person is concussed?
1: There hasn't been any defining timeline, however sooner the better than, than later. We, okay. we now have an understanding that there is a, that the road to recovery is more of an active process than a passive time off, wait and see process. There's this approach that has been considered over the last decade, that maybe two to three weeks after injury, we really need to start getting more active. One to PT, vestibular therapy, vision therapy. We certainly don't want to push the system within the first week. I think that can Mm -hmm. be a little too soon. But even within a two-, three-week period, patients can start to get into some of these vision therapy exercises. And to be honest – go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. To be honest, I typically don't see these patients until they've actually undergone this evaluation by clinical – Neuropsychology, and they've been through appropriate vision screening. So by the time they get to me into my clinic, they've probably it's probably been three to four weeks, and there's not really a timeline of when we can. I mean, there's not a too late. It's not going to happen for you. It's it's not going to be helpful for you. So, but, but sooner the better. Okay. And
0: that's one thing that, that especially in the past couple of years in the physical therapy and the vestibular therapy research has shown is that, you know, that, that active process of rehabilitation rather than that passive healing is much better. And, and, and starting sooner, obviously not within the first day or two of, of after concussion, but starting sooner is actually better for the patient in terms of doing vestibular therapy and traditional physical therapy to take care of any type of cervical issues or anything like that. Um, is there any research? uh that starting vision therapy within like the first couple of weeks is more beneficial have there been any studies looking at when specifically the the vision therapy started and improvements or or lack of improvement
1: no there hasn't been that would be great to see um hopefully in in the near future but but so far there has not been okay Okay. I mean, we know that, and it's tough because we know that there is this spontaneous improvement within a 30-day period. So, if you mm-hmm. if you do absolutely nothing, we know that there are improvements in in visual sequelae and convergence issues and accommodative issues. So, it's it'd be a, it'd be a, have to be a very defined protocol with specific inclusion mm-hmm. criteria.
0: It's difficult to study, isn't
1: it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it very much is.
0: Okay, so when when you're dealing with that that, that patient after concussion and having visual issues, is, is there an average time frame that patients will heal after the concussion? Like after you start the vision therapy, or is it essentially in terms of like physical therapy, where it really depends on the individual, essentially how they're going to heal up?
1: Well, it's yeah, it's very patient specific, especially if the patient has other factors going on, if the patient has post-traumatic migraine or other somatic symptoms. In, in general, though, for patients with convergence insufficiency due to injury, we typically see the near point of convergence improve five centimeters every four to five weeks. And patients in vision therapy on average are, like I said, previously, they're going through therapy for 10 weeks, maybe longer, mm-hmm. and younger individuals will will bounce back a little bit easier. Geriatrics team seem to progress a little bit slower because we're we're treating against some age-related things that are working against them.
0: Okay. Okay. So as a PT, what would be some common terms that might be good to know to describe eye movements and tracking to an optometrist?
1: That's a great question. I think when Whenever I'm I'm teaching my students in clinic, there is a number of things that I want the physical therapist to understand or at least interpret from a clinical record or be able to communicate to the ophthalmologist or optometrist. And one is near point of convergence or what we call NPC. Mm -hmm. Normal near point of convergence is six centimeters. It's measured from the tip of the nose. We want... We want clinicians to understand what accommodative amplitudes are, or or what we call amps. We measure that in diopters, but for the purpose of screening, amplitude of accommodation is measured from the plane of the forehead, and a minimum amount of accommodation, we want to see about 15 centimeters. So patients should be able to bring something close to them and see something clearly up to 15 centimeters assuming that the patients are under 30 years of age. Now, if they're older, obviously they're going to be losing their accommodation or their ability to focus up close. Mm-hmm. Um, but patients under 30 should have this, this normative amount of focusing ability. We want, okay. clinicians, we want clinicians to know what basic saccadic movements look like, what basic saccades look like on record, um, We want patients or clinicians to know what pursuit movements are, if they read that through the record saying pursuits are smooth and equal, or saccades are smooth and equal, or what hypometric saccades look like, or hypersymmetric saccades look like. The other thing that I think is really important is to observe their ocular alignment, whether there is an exophoria present, an esophoria, or whether there be... Strabismus present, an exotropia, an esotropia. Those are some of the terms that physical therapists should absolutely be familiar with. So when they see that on record, they can at least discuss this this common ground of hey, they have this. Be mindful that when you're treating them in vestibular therapy and incorporating vision exercises.
0: Okay. No, that that was a great explanation. So when we're dealing with uh, patients with visual deficits after uh, a concussion, um, are are most of the – essentially the diagnoses that that we may see might be convergence insufficiency, accommodative insufficiency, uh, saccadic dysfunction. Are they like the the top three ones that generally patients will be be seen for, essentially?
1: Yeah. So the research is telling us that convergence insufficiency – is number one, much like if a patient has a concussion, headaches are obviously the number one symptom. Convergence insufficiency being one, accommodative insufficiency being two, and then staccatic and pursuit dysfunction following that.
0: Okay. So, as a PT, if we're seeing a patient with visual sy- symptoms like a convergence insufficiency after a concussion, are there any exercises or low-tech tips that we can perform with the patient to help them with this?
1: Yeah, and I, I think there there are a lot of physical therapists who are already doing convergence exercises with the Brock string. And I feel mm-hmm. like if you're working on convergence, you're going to m- improve upon their accommodative function naturally.
0: So they kind so of go hand-in-hand then?
1: They do. There is a synergistic relationship between convergence and accommodation. So we call that the the CAC system. Or if you're working on the accommodative system with accommodative exercises, which usually the vision therapists are focusing on, that's called the the ACA system, or improving the accommodation will naturally improve the convergence issues. So for patients, or excuse me, for clinicians that are focusing strictly on convergence exercises with your pencil push-ups, your Brock strings, your three-dot cards, your Lifesaver cards, a lot of times clinicians are concerned that they're not taking care of the accommodative issues. But 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 you really are. You're 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 focusing on it in an indirect way. You're not isolating the accommodative system, but you are working on the accommodation when you are doing convergence exercises. So there are a number of different tips and and things to keep in mind when doing vision therapy. And mm-hmm. gosh, this is a loaded question. We could talk for hours on this one we have time (laughs) i would say first and foremost ask the patient if they've had an eye exam have they had their routine eye exam have they had their contacts updated do they have the current glasses because we want them to be as binocular as possible with correcting the refractive error that they have so if say one eye is is off compared to the other it's not going to make vision therapy or vestibular therapy as effective. So having mm-hmm. an up-to-date script is super, super important. Many times I, I think a physical therapist as kind of being the, you know, the gatekeeper for visual issues because they're the ones spending so much time with their patients. And it's kind of like this working history. So the physical therapist's, asking questions about their history and asking for, for feedback during the therapy. Are they getting double? When are they getting double? Are they seeing blurred vision? Is it one eye? Is it both eyes? And is it double and blurry at the same time? Instead of just kind of going through the motions that we can sometimes get trapped in when we're seeing dozens of patients a day and multiple mm-hmm. patients at the same time in the same room so i feel like constantly talking with the patient and getting the patient to appreciate the kinesthetic awareness for what their eyes are actually doing and giving the clinician the feedback that's necessary
0: okay on a side note um do you see the patient's vision prescription so if they wore glasses or possibly didn't wear glasses before them, do you see that their visual prescription changes post-concussion? Is that, a, is that a common occurrence?
1: Not as common as you think. And I think there is this preconceived notion that, oh, I, I can't get my glasses updated because I just got a concussion or it's been within a month period. So I'm going to wait until wait things calm down a little bit. Now, in some cases of direct trauma to the face, direct trauma to the eye or the globe, where there is a a physical type trauma, that that may be a case where it's more appropriate to wait. But Mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely appropriate to update glasses, even if it's been within a two-month period or a one-month period, because those changes maybe were already happening and they just needed to get their glasses updated. I, I say that with some tongue-in-cheek uh-huh. because, yes, concussion can influence somebody's accommodation. So let's take one example. For a patient who is farsighted, who has a a plus prescription, on your prescription it should have a little plus on it. Uh-huh. For somebody who is farsighted, they're usually not fully corrected. They're given their – maybe half of their prescription or close to their full prescription, but not the entire thing. And when we sustain an injury, it disturbs that accommodation. And so there might be some latent hyperopia or this latent farsightedness that we're just not picking up yet, or it's not fully in the prescription. So yes, a farsighted person can have a shift in their prescription. So they might need a change in their prescription to give them some relief with the potential of maybe changing it back sometime down the road.
0: Okay, great. Um, I want to backtrack a a little bit to just the the visual exercises, like utilizing the Brock string and pencil pushups and, and some of the the low tech uh, exercises we can do to, to improve convergence and sufficiency. Is there a recommended dosage? Um, that a therapist should follow, in terms of the uh, amount of reps or time frame for each exercise, the amount of times a day they should be performing it, that kind of thing.
1: That's a really good question. I I can't tell you how many times I get that question. So I think it's it's a popular question to answer. And if we're using the Brock string, it's something that we need to do every day and stay compliant with. Given that it's the most widely used tool. I would consider, one, as far as the setup goes, in the beginning, use larger beads. There are a lot of clinics out there that I'll visit, and when I'm doing workshops, I'll take a look at their basic equipment. And a lot of patients are using these really, really tiny beads, which we have to use a lot more convergence effort and accommodative effort to to fuse or to localize. And Mm -hmm. using larger beads is just easier for binocular fusion. So larger wooden beads, probably like the size of a marble, would be more appropriate. But then as they go through the therapy, smaller beads is a little bit easier to use. They should be spending at least, I'd say, five to seven minutes every single day. I would say don't do it in the evening. Don't do it before bedtime. Doing it... Early middays a little bit easier because we don't want to fatigue these patients. We don't want to okay. push their post traumatic migraines and then they're not having the appropriate sleep. But yes, I mean, they should be doing maybe 10 reps um, in a particular set of exercises and then 10 right. reps in another set of exercises. But in total duration, I would say five to seven minutes.
0: Okay. And basically just not have a significant increase in their symptoms while they're doing it, correct?
1: Right. And I will say that with some tongue in cheek as well because mm-hmm. naturally you're going to provoke their symptoms. There's yeah. going to be some provocation. And in in our, our in our protocols, we want to push them to the point that their headaches are not exceeding maybe a 6 or a 7 out of 10. We don't mm-hmm. want to push patients too far because we, we half expect these patients are already coming in with visual symptoms, with headache symptoms, with dizziness symptoms, symptoms about their environment. So we know that they're coming in not feeling the best already, but, but that's okay because we mm-hmm. just need to provoke their symptoms just enough to make progress in the therapy, but not too much to make the rest of the day absolutely miserable.
0: Okay. So, Dr. Steinhoffel, are there other medical conditions where vision therapy may be beneficial?
1: Yes. Non-strabismic binocular disorders like exophorias, exophorias esophorias, hyperphorias. So, if there's this vertical misalignment, patients that have misaligned eyes. And when I say that, patients that you can visually see their eyes wandering right or left. Mm-hmm. intermittent low magnitude strabismus, and some of these patients are just not candidates for vision therapy. They're more surgical cases. Other cases okay. include amblyopia, patients that have poorly developed vision in one eye, and that's more of the hotbed of research right now, is vision mm-hmm. therapy improving these amblyopic cases. Accommodative okay. disorders and patients who also look normal on paper with a clinical record, but still have these symptoms, these visual sequelae from acquired brain injury or concussion. They still feel visually fatigued. So we're taking an intact visual system and pushing them to help them get over their symptoms when maybe there's not an actual convergent issue present.
0: Okay, great. And then as a PT, when is it appropriate to refer out to a vision specialist such as yourself?
1: Well, obviously, when you feel it's out of your scope of care, there's no hurt in referring. And I've been really fortunate to work with some super intelligent and well-educated physical therapists in Pittsburgh. So a lot of them are tackling it on their own and doing a wonderful job. But a PT with some vt experience can certainly manage a patient with mild convergence insufficiency if they're measuring it up to 15 centimeters Mm -hmm. i would refer out if it's beyond 20 centimeters when we look at the severity scale under 15 centimeters is considered mild moderate is between 15 and 25 centimeters and then severe is beyond 25 centimeters because, okay, great. And, and if you're seeing patients that are larger or long, worse than 25 centimeters, we know that there's going to be other visual diagnoses that are present, which can make treating much more difficult.
0: Okay, great. Well, Dr. Steinhoffel, thank you very much for your time. This has been extremely informative, and I invite uh, everyone listening to uh, listen to our other podcasts that are on the Black Talk radio site, and thanks for joining us for our Vision Therapy podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Steinhoffel.
1: Thank you for having me.